Hello there, Michelle Rado back with our next episode of Daring to Tell. And oh boy, have we got somebody daring to tell for you today. I am so impressed that Madeline Murphy Rabb is sharing this amazing essay. It is a great piece. It is called Sex Education and Family Culture. And it has so many lessons in it, but I don't even want to like say too much more about it. I've already said too much. I will only make one explanation that Madeline and I were put into an accountability group together when we were in Nadine Kenny Johnstone's writing group, as I mention in every episode. And one of our first assignments was to come up with a name for our group. So we ended up coming up with the with truth tellers as our group name. So that's the little reference to that. In case you needed a heads up that an essay entitled Sex Education does have descriptions of sex in it, that is your warning. But with that, here is Madeline Murphy Rabb, who is truly daring to tell. Maurice. I need to have an uncomfortable and embarrassing conversation with you right now before Ella says something to you. Do you have a few minutes to listen? Nothing's gonna make me brave. Nothing's gonna make me brave. Nothing's gonna make me brave except doing what makes me scared. Nothing's gonna break my fall There's nothing in the protocol It's like swimming up a waterfall Or taking away the ground All right, so do you see a little red button now or a little red light? You don't, don't, don't look nervous. You look nervous. I was really like, oh my God, I don't believe I wrote this, but I'll, I'll let the listeners see if I should have, okay? All right, yeah, very good. I also love that you put on lipstick. I don't know if it's for me or not. No, I have, I'm going to lunch. Uh, uh, to, but, yeah. <laughs> I feel like we have so few reasons to ever I put know. on <laughs> I lipstick. Love my what is all that dinging? Oh, that's messages. Ugh. Now we know those messages can really get you in trouble. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Don't even start. Um, now, how do I turn it on? You know what? Let's live with it. So, yeah, why don't you tell me how we met? Because I, I like to say that we are part of the original truth tellers. I feel like everybody on the podcast will be a, a lot of great writers. Yes. Um, but there, we do have our original truth tellers that we really... Um, I think we all bonded that first yeah, night. We did. We really did. Yeah. Well, we met in a class, in a virtual class taught by Nadine Johnston. And, um, and we bonded. We just bonded. Um, there's something about your energy and your openness. And I think we just bonded very quickly. That's, I appreciate that so much. And yeah, like I, it was actually, I think our class started in May. Oh, and, wow. Has and it been as of this, 
Yeah, and as of this recording, we are talking on September 16th, and Zoom has been awesome, I think, because obviously we have the pandemic going on, and it's allowed... We would never have met. I mean, what are the chances? We we all get together every Thursday for our group, so, and I always look forward to that now, and when you're not there, you missed a couple... You were doing stuff with your family, which was great, but we missed you very much, and I missed you very much. Well, thank you, and I missed you guys. <laughs> I was I was suffering a little bit of being overwhelmed too, but I'm back. I've got I'm, I got my head screwed on right, and I am just so excited about writing. So tell a little bit about your art and your history with art, and the fact, and you live in Chicago. So I live in Chicago. I've lived downtown for thirty five years in a high rise, unlike you who live in a wonderful rural <laughs> burden. Now, now I do. State. I graduated from the Maryland Institute College of Art and I got a BA in painting. And then I got a master's in printmaking from the Illinois Institute of Technology. And I've had about a 40 year career uh, as an arts activist, uh, studio artist, an arts leader, jewelry designer, personal curator, and I'm a big, big collector of works created by Black American artists. But for the past 15 years, I've been on a journey to, uh, to reinvent myself after my husband died in 2005, and we'd been married 39 years. And I got news for you, ladies. I'm having a great time. You know, there is life after a wonderful marriage, but it takes a while to get there. But there's, yeah. there's this time when you realize I can do whatever I want with no consultation on my own terms. I always hated that sofa. I'm burning it, you know. Oh. <laughs> That's, uh, I love hearing you say that because you definitely told us about your art, which I so look forward to seeing more of. But oh, we've got dings going on because we're on Zoom. But I, I love what you say about your time post marriage because actually two of us in our in our truth tellers two of you are widows who are finding life after wonderful marriages and guess what about two years ago i dropped widow i'm single oh okay because it was like a shroud you know i just didn't because it always elicits this body language like oh you know, know, and I don't want that. I don't want that, you know? That's that's good, because you even heard my voice. I was like, mm-hmm. widow. It's very, yeah. And that's, yeah, and I love yeah. the freedom that both you and Robin have really embraced on continuing to live your life after marriages. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, it, to me, like with this podcast and this theme that I've kind of taken on, a theme of bravery, and daring to do things that you never thought you could do, that's, I mean, that's right up there with it. Yeah. So I love your energy too. Thank and you. Thank you. So I know you've also been doing a ton of writing. Tell me about a little bit about the stuff that you've been writing and what you've been doing in the past 15 years, because you have had a lot going on. Yeah, well, um, I I fell in love with writing around 2015. I enrolled in a continuing education national program, and they were teaching a class at Northwestern called Writing Life Stories. 
And I discovered I had a plethora of stories to tell, and they just started pouring out of me. And it was a very nurturing environment. There was no instructor. It was self-guided. And the classmates loved my stories. Every week we had to write a 500-word essay. And after that, I realized I really needed instruction. Although I felt like I had some natural ability, I started taking classes elsewhere. And so I went to Ragdale, and I went to this amazing festival called the Iowa Writers Festival. Oh, yeah. It occurs every summer. And yeah. oh my God, it was, it like changed my life. And I just got addicted. So I've been writing ever since. Yeah. I love reading the things that you've shared with us so far. I really look forward to reading more. And I know that you are also quite active and you write a lot about your biking and your mm-hmm. swimming. Do you want to talk about your athletics a little bit? Yeah, well, in those 15 years, I discovered the challenges of dating. So I've been a serial dater. (laughs) And I have also become a jock in my old age. I'm 75. And in my 60s, I started dating in my 60s, in my 70s, I think, maybe, no, maybe longer. In my late 60s, I started working with a swimming coach. I've always swim, swam, swum. As a, as, a, as a kid, I had good skills, very good skills, but they were rusty. And so I worked with him to sort of improve my skills. Well, what turned out as a, you know, what I thought would be one or two classes has evolved into more than 10 years of working with a coach. And he told me that I had the skills to become a, a competitive swimmer. And I told him he was out of his mind, you know. Yeah. I said, all I want to do is swim for fun. And I had introduced a friend of mine who's several years older to him, and she had started taking classes with him. And don't you know, I looked up and she was doing competitions and getting medals and stuff. And I got green as envy. And I told her, (laughs) I want some medals. (laughs) And about a year later, by then I accommodated, I got about 16 medals in different competitions. Holy cow. I knew you won a few things. I didn't know you had that many. That is and in, something. And in 2019, I competed at the National Senior Games in Albuquerque. So, yeah. And then I bike. I'm a serious biker. Yeah. So my goal is to keep run as fast as I weigh from aging. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is fantastic. On every level, you are an inspiration. And um, I, love, I love how you describe yourself as a jock, too, in your, in your later <laughs> years. Because yeah. it's... Um, you know, I've taken up running in my later years uh, as well, and it's not something that I never, that I ever really thought I would be doing. But now that I do, I go, I like this. And yes. unlike you, I have no idea. Well, I shouldn't say unlike you because I had no ideation about like you know doing this competitively. I don't think I will. But you know, I am an ambassador for the National Senior Games. Wow! And my job is to influence. Yeah. People over 50 <laughs> to that consider <laughs> participating in the National Senior Games. So oh. I'm going to talk to you later about that. Oh, boy. <laughs> now I've really stepped in it. <laughs> you did. That's right. <laughs> well, it's, I'm daring. I'm daring to tell. I'd be daring to run. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, let's hear a little bit of what you have to read for us today. I loved this piece, and 
when I heard I this, I said, oh, this has got to be for the podcast. Well, you know, Michelle, I was really like, oh my God, I don't believe I wrote this, but I'll, I'll let the listeners see if I should have. Okay. All right. Yeah. Very good. Very good. All right. The title of your piece is called Sex Education and Family Culture. Gaga, how often do you see Jim? My 11-year-old granddaughter, Ella, was asking me about my boyfriend of six months. I told her, almost every day. Did you see him today? She was spending the night at my condo. Yes, I saw him this morning. I dropped off my bike lock. I keep my bike at his condo. We like to ride together along the lake, and it's safer and easier to get to the bike path from where he lives. She asked, does he ever stay over? Yeah, sometimes. Well, where does he sleep? I answered, in my bedroom. She looked a little surprised, and seeing her face, I probed, does that bother you? No, I just asked. We care for one another a lot, I continued, and sometimes I stay at his house. I didn't tell her that I'd spent the night at his condo the night before and that he had practically moved in with me. That seemed like TMI. The next morning, Ella was in the kitchen eating cereal and playing games on my iPad while I slept in. Suddenly, I heard her pounding footsteps as she came flying into my bedroom. Gaga! A text came across your iPad from Jim. It said something about come. Her pretty caramel-colored face was contorted with shock and disgust. I had just seen the text moments earlier on my iPhone. Jim had texted me something he had cut and pasted from an article, he said. How should come taste? Salty, sweet, bitter, metallic, sharp, sour? You name the flavor, and there's a chance your semen will taste that way one day. But my face was burning as I tried to hide my embarrassment and mortification from Ella as she stood next to my bed. I said calmly, Ella, why were you reading my text messages? Gaga, whenever I use your iPad, they scroll across the top of the page. Oh, Ella, you're right. It's impossible not to read them, isn't it? Yeah, she nodded. I surprised myself at how nonchalant I had sounded. Perhaps it was because Ella and I spent a lot of time together, snuggling on my sofa, talking, watching blackish movies, and cooking shows. We have a very open relationship. Our abstract conversations about sex are fine, but it was another thing for my granddaughter to actually read something so personal and intimate between me and my boyfriend. And the taste of cum was not something I was prepared to discuss at that moment. Sitting in my bed as I listened to her, I was thinking, oh, shit, how am I going to handle this? To my relief and surprise, Ella did not ask any more questions. 
She dashed out of my bedroom and went back to the kitchen to continue playing games on my iPad. As I picked up my iPhone to call Jim, I saw the undulating gray bubbles on the screen. I frantically texted him, stop texting me, call me now. Before he could speak, I said, shit, don't send me another text. Ella just read the one you sent. Huh? What are you going to say to her? And why is Ella reading your text messages? Because they pop up on my iPad. We'll go to settings and turn it off. Then he got quiet. She's going to tell her parents. What are you going to do? I'll figure something out, but I have to tell my son what happened before Ella does. When Ella was in fourth grade, I saw her sitting on my sofa reading It's Perfectly Normal, an explicit, illustrated, and well-written children's book on sex education. She told me, Gaga, this is the same book we're using in our sex education class. She had found it on the bottom bookshelf in my den, where I had tucked it among my grandchildren's favorite Frog and Toad and Dr. Seuss books. I'm almost certain that both my older grandsons, Diallo and Issa, had devoured it during one of their visits to Chicago. A few years earlier, I had sent a copy to Chris, warning him that he would be needing to let his sons read it sooner than he thinks. He had responded, oh, mom, not so soon. Jim gave me instructions on how to turn off the text messages, and I dashed into the kitchen, snatched the iPad from a still-dazed Ella, turned off the messaging function, and gave it back to her. It was silent in the kitchen as I was fixing my coffee. I asked Ella, do you know what come is? I could hardly believe I was uttering those words to my pint-sized granddaughter. Yeah, from your sex education class in school? Uh-huh. I was so relieved to hear this, I could have swooned. Still, the tension in the room was palpable. Well, at least now you know you can discuss anything with me. Even as I said the words, I knew I was ill-equipped to have a discussion that day with my 11-year-old granddaughter about cum. Oh, Gaga, I already knew that. And we both promptly ended the conversation. There was no way I could talk to my son while Ella was with me. But as soon as I dropped her at home with Maurice, I called him from my car. Maurice, I need to have an uncomfortable and embarrassing conversation with you right now before Ella says something to you. Do you have a few minutes to listen? He got very quiet and said, okay, Ma, what's up? I felt like I was in a nightmare as I related the story. Maurice responded, oh, hell, Mom, doesn't Jim know he should never write such personal stuff in a text? My son did not like him and thought him unfiltered and crass. So he presumed that Jim was sexting me. Becoming judgmental, he said, that's why I would never text anything I would be ashamed of someone seeing. And sexting, well, 
I was already embarrassed about the whole episode and saw no point in trying to defend a boyfriend no one in my family thought was good enough for me or explained that he was not sexting me, he was merely sharing an article. I'm really embarrassed and sorry about this, Maurice. I'm just thankful Ellis had sex education at school. While my son was not thrilled that Ella had read the text, he was fine with the way I handled the situation. He empathized and actually chuckled a bit about it. Growing up, he and his brother were used to and embarrassed by my uninhibited conversations with them about sex. It was not the same in his wife's family. When Maurice was a freshman at Stanford during Thanksgiving break, I told his father he needed to have another serious conversation with our son about sex before he returned to school. Years later, Maurice related how his father had handled the conversation. During the drive to the airport, he noticed that his father seemed unusually quiet and preoccupied. As Maurice was exiting the car with his luggage, his father threw a big box of Trojans at him and yelled, use them, and sped away. My daughter-in-law, Audrey, and I have a very warm and close relationship, but my stomach was in knots about how this would play out after Maurice told her what had transpired on my watch. She was at work, and there was very little time for Maurice to tell his wife before Ella did. Okay, Maurice, so you're going to tell Audrey before Ella tells her? It's tough, Mom. She's at work, and you know she never looks at her phone. But I'll try to tell her before she sees Ella. But, Mom, I know she won't like it. I responded, listen, I wouldn't either. It was unfortunate. I'm thoroughly embarrassed, but what can I say? Maurice did not succeed in telling Audrey before Ella told her. He told me later that, not surprisingly, Audrey was furious with having to have a calm conversation with Ella out of the blue with no warning from him. The next morning, I flew to Albuquerque for a week to compete in a swimming competition at the National Senior Games. Weeks later, when Audrey and I finally had time alone to talk, before she could say anything, I confessed that I was a coward. I had dreaded talking to her for fear of her anger. She assured me that she was not angry at me. What upset her was that she had been blindsided and she understood but regretted that Maurice had not warned her before Ella told her. She smiled warmly at me, mad, it's good that some time has passed before we talked. I needed to process it all, and I'm not at all angry at you. It was unfortunate, but it was not your fault. And although I didn't expect it to happen so soon, it opened the door for Ella and me to have many important conversations about sex. 
In hindsight, I realized that in spite of the calm game face my 11-year-old granddaughter had shown me in my kitchen and my calm front, we were both hiding our mutual embarrassment and distress. I was so relieved that I hugged Audrey and wept. I told her how impressed I was with the open and forthright manner in which she had addressed the fraught situation with Ella. I was even more grateful that it did not fracture our friendship. But neither Ella, Audrey, or Maurice could tolerate my boyfriend. It took several other incidents for me to realize that while there were many things I loved about Jim, he was just not the right man for me. This is so good, Madeline. Thank you. You have made some really thoughtful changes even since I read it and since what I saw. Yeah. It's so powerful. Uh, I can tell you what I think is powerful about it, but what, what do you think is most powerful about it for you? Well, you know, I've, you know, I've worked on this and I've been scared of it and embarrassed and, and wondered whether it was, whether I should even admit it, you know? Yeah. And as I was reading it over, I realized that, that Ella was really setting me up to talk about stuff or she, it was obvious that she was aware and curious, you know? And as I read it, I began to realize, you know, maybe there was a reason for this. And when Audrey told me that she knew that she needed to have conversations with Ella and that she was having them in a, in discreet kinds of way, ways, this was like, bam, you know, <laughs> but yeah. the fact is little girls are very sexual yeah. and they're doing things and they're having oral sex with little boys for heaven's sake. And I thought about it and I said, Oh, but, you know, the other side of it was, I didn't want her, you know, she's talking, I don't know, you know. Oh, of course. But at the same time, I rationalized. I said, well, you know what? In 20 years after I'm gone, she'll be able to say, you know, my Gaga at 75, you know, she was pretty hot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, who knows? <laughs> I Yes, I love that. And, and I do think... Um, God, I can't even imagine. I, I feel the mortification that you must have felt. I, oh. I just feel, um, honestly, like every person's pain in this situation. Yes. But the thing that I love the most is the way that life has a way of shoving these horrible opportunities up in our face to deal with stuff and the fact that how you know I, I'm not saying there's an easy way to get around these kind of things but you clearly had built enough of a rapport and and the way that you raised your kids um, mm -hmm. and the way that you were so open and forthright in discussing sex with them that although this was not necessarily a good situation it made sense once the context was explained. Mm -hmm. um, and it was also a chance for your family to tell you why 
this guy might not have, you know, I can see him <laughs> certainly being protective of you. I mean, even if he's someone you cared about very deeply, you know, I, I can certainly imagine if uh, my mom, my grandmother saw someone, you know, I'm just going to be a little more protective about who it is they're seeing. But you are your own woman and you are having a sexual life into your seventies. And that's great. I mean, that's also ideal to talk about because I think, you know, I think that's one of the things that I want to explore a bit more. I've done a lot of writing and this, this is the first time, you know, I've ever really, spoken about it in public and I'm I'm really honored and, and appreciative Aww. that you as am I, I will definitely say. But I think that that is a subject that's been taboo and I think there's this notion that women of a certain age are, are asexual, you know, and mm-hmm. that they have no interest in in sex and intimacy. And uh, I'm here to tell you it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> it's not true. (laughs) Yeah. It really moves me. And the thing that I've told you before is um, the real secondary theme, if it is, maybe it's the primary theme that comes across is the deep love and respect. And um, oh God, what's the right word? It's like, it's not even accountability, but I guess candor um, that you have with your family and that they yeah, have big. with you. That's really <laughs> something. Yeah. And I, and I really appreciate the relationship I have with my daughter. I call her my daughter in love because, you know, we, we can, we've had situations that we've had to navigate and I've had to learn how to be a good mother-in-law you know, and to learn when to say and when not to say and when not to assume certain things or do things. So it really, really terrified me that we could have a rift. Right, right. Yeah, that's, that is a huge risk. It really Mm -hmm. is. And Mm -hmm. because that in-law report is, doesn't have the innate blood feel that we do with the parents who raise us and such yeah right so i think we we've we've gotten closer through all of this absolutely and that's the thing that i also love is that when you face these things you can have a deeper closeness on the other side and i can only imagine this is indeed a story ella will be telling for a long (laughs) time Oh goodness. <laughs> I bet do you she... guys do you got how old is she now? So she was eleven when this happened. She's twelve. Oh, so this was pretty recent. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> so you yeah. guys, it is not We've up. never mentioned yeah. it. <laughs> Move right on. Yes, moving right along. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty uh straightforward but hey I'm not quite that straight yeah well and that's the other thing is like there's plenty of I love that there's plenty of truth telling here but discretion is another thing and deciding when to talk about things and when to not talk about things is our choice at all times well you know the thing that I had to grapple with too was why while I was terrified and and just almost speechless what 
is my freedom to say and and tell my granddaughter certain things, you know, and that there's certain, and that's why I, I deferred to my son because, you know, I felt that he had to hear this from me and I, and I had to tell him and not Audrey because that would have been a problem, but still it was, oh, (laughs) I hope that my uh, angst comes through. Ah, yes. (laughs) Um, And I wrote to you in this when you sent this to me, but I do think my favorite line in the whole um, piece is where you say, Maurice, I need to have an uncomfortable and embarrassing conversation with you right now before Ella says something to you. Do you have a few minutes to listen? Those are very wise, wise, wise words. It does remind me of when I was a kid and I somehow figured out if I had something really bad that I knew my mother was going to be mad at me about, I would always start with, if I tell you something, do you promise you won't get mad? <laughs> Which is completely unfair to ask, I, right. I think now, but she was game. She would, she, she would get this look on her face. She'd be like, okay, she's going to tell me something. Let me try and prepare myself. And, um, and just that heads up is like, uh, I don't know. It's my favorite thing. Thank you. Thank you. Another thing, as you read that, that I really like, um, that to me is something often missing in what we see in the world these days is the ability to let some time go by after a really difficult incident and how Audrey said to you, I'm glad we didn't talk for a while. Cause I think when we do have phones dinging and instant communication all the time, there's so much reactionary stuff. And of course people are going to feel upset right off the bat, but the ability to like, okay, I'm going to let it go allows both parties a chance to come back a little more wholeheartedly and figure out what was really going on. So that's another thing that I, I love about this story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, and when she said it, it really resonated, you know, I knew that I was incapable of talking to her. Yeah. And that was when you went off to win one of your medals swimming. <laughs> so you got yourself like purged in a new way in the interim. Actually, it was interesting. And I didn't think it was really relevant. Maurice went with me to oh. witness me perform. Oh, that's and he great. Yeah. Oh, how nice. Yeah, and we were so busy with that that we didn't, we, we had a moment where we talked about it, you know, and he, right. He's like, oh, she wasn't real happy about it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't think that was relevant to this. Yeah. No, I, I think that, I think it's a great piece. Well, this has been so much fun. Thank you. I love this. I, I actually. Love, I love to tell stories. <laughs> I love to listen. <laughs> yes, you do. I really do. You're good uh, at it. Oh, you, thank you. Thank you. So you're an editor and a listener and a producer. 
That's what I love. That, that's your creativity. It is. It is. I love it. And um, you've got a good ear, you know, and you, and you know how to write, you know. Thank but you. But you also know, um, you know how to help people tell a story. Oh, thank you. That means so much to me because I do. I just love it. Mm. I don't know um, why it is, but you know, I don't know. Like, I was thinking about this also. Like, why do we love the things we love? There's no reason. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know. Do you know why you love swimming, or do you know why you love writing, or what? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Well, you know, there is a reason because it just makes you feel good. Right. I mean, exactly. if there's something magical, there's something satisfying. Yeah, absolutely. It's a feeling that you don't get when you watch TV or do, you know, which is all yeah. great stuff. But yeah, yeah it yeah. does. It makes you feel yeah. good. Yeah, like when you run. Yeah. And every day I go, oh, should I really run today? <laughs> I know, but you never... But why do we try and avoid the thing that we love the most? Like getting wet in the pool. Yeah. It's like, just, you got to jump in. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Madeline. Well, there you go. If that's not evidence that facing the tough stuff can help you arrive better on the other side of a very difficult conversation, well, I'm not sure what will. And as I was listening to this for about the fifth time, I did have a new thought that hadn't occurred to me. You know, it was so huge that Madeline actually had built a comfortable enough rapport discussing sex with Ella way in advance of this event ever even happening that Ella was able to run up to her gaga and express her shock and dismay at that text. So that's pretty impressive too. We are always setting the groundwork for those future difficulties because life has no shortage of them that it will dish out to us. If you have other thoughts or follow-ups for Madeline, send them to me, michelle at michellerado.com. I'm a Michelle with two L's, and it's R-E-D-O, michelle at michellerado.com. Madeline was immersed for her career in the art world for a very long time, and she has been profiled on the History Makers, and you can go look her up there on their website. It's super impressive, so learn more about her there. But now she's jumped into writing full on. She's working on her own memoir. She's writing essays all the time and submitting them all over the place, so hopefully you will be seeing her out there soon. She is a wise and thoughtful voice, and I'm so excited to have had her with us. If you like what you've been hearing on Daring to Tell, please forward a link to a fellow writer, friend, a book group, or maybe a writing teacher or writing students. Next time, we will meet the final writer from our little truth tellers group of Nadine's class, Hope Cook, who is a dermatology physician's assistant. Sure, my doctor used cameras to monitor her staff when she wasn't there. And yes, she had frequent scathing online reviews about her bedside manner and wacky diagnoses. 
like all rashes were due to mites. Please do subscribe. Our episodes of Daring to Tell drop every Thursday. Thank you so much for listening. And nothing's gonna break my fall. There's nothing in the protocol. It's like swimming up waterfall or taking away the ground. Taking away the ground. It's like taking away the ground. Read, read the famous text one more time. And I know. And see if you can speed through it a little more. Okay. You know, like I think for each one of those different flavors.